Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Have you had to adjust your uh, schedule? Have you become more organized? Have you had to cut some things out of your life for all the time that comes with being a father? Yeah, definitely not as much golf. Golf time has cut down significantly in video games. Um, but uh, I still am able to get out there every once in a while. Brittany's a, a champ. She She's kind of doing it all. I'm just kind of like the, the cheerleader on the sideline, just asking her what I need to do. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, it's a special thing. You want to be around her as much as possible. And so um, I, we still take trips here and there, but we're able to take her with us, uh, luckily enough, and, and be able to spend time with her uh, as much as we can. Patrick Holmes talking about being a new father and the various obligations that arise. You could see him. He was a little, he was gathering his thoughts when he did this. Like, I got to be careful here because anything I say can and will be used against well, you're me, right. Christopher. You're right. I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've gotta, both been there. Yeah, you've been there, right? I mean, you say anything now, you're scared, right? I mean, he's probably saying, I'm on the sidelines like a cheerleader. And he's probably like, wait, did that offend somebody? I mean... That's really no. Weird. I'm talking. No, I'm not talking about I, that. I'm I know. talking about at I was, home. I know. I'm talking about making sure yes. that he's that he's participating properly, right? Because there's a balance there, and I learned the hard way because, frankly, I was on the wrong side of it. I'll tell you a story. I used to play a lot of basketball. Once my son was born, and once the obligations kicked in, I had to decide on my own. Yeah, that it was time to stop leaving at night for two hours, two or three nights a week to play basketball. That's one of the things you have to figure out on your own for your own good. Yeah, because well, number one, right. it's the right thing to do. It's part of growing up. Yeah, but number two, if you don't, you got a problem. Well, like, you got a big problem. Like, what? When? When did you? When did you grow up? What did you mean by that? That means like you came home one night and Jill yelled at you and said, "The hell with this basketball stuff." Three days a week. No, and then no. you decided to this grow is, up. <laughs> Twenty-five years later, I'm going to get myself in trouble all over again for this. I made the mistake of going to play basketball on an evening that my son had been vaccinated for something, right? And he was crying and reacting 
and yeah. I left yeah. to go play basketball. <laughs> I love it. And it possibly may have been reduced to writing in his baby book that <laughs> when I got my first vaccination, Daddy left to play basketball for two hours while I cried all night. So yeah. that was the end of basketball. Okay. That was all I needed to see. All that right. was the move. Hey, check out the baby book. Oh, what's this entry? This is interesting. Hmm, okay, no more basketball. There are ways of sending messages. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there definitely is. That's a good one. I, I uh, The golf thing is, like, real. I mean, when you have kids, you, you just cannot walk out of the house and say, hey, honey, I'll see you later. Kids, I'll see you later. Be back in five hours. That's Five? Where, you know. <laughs> five. Yeah. Grade seven if I you mean, suck like I do. You're right. You're right. And it can become that very easily if you take a lunch break or something like that. That's something that kind of, like, casually – I was not a big golfer, but I was like, okay, I can't really justify on a Saturday afternoon going there, doing that anymore. I did do some basketball. The video games, you didn't have to like deal with that aspect, really, did you? I mean, you weren't playing video games when, when your huh. son was born. You oh, were a little? Oh, oh, a yeah. Little oh, bit? yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Madden's been around. How long has Madden been around? Right. Madden is older than my son, yes. 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 Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. When did you have that moment, though? When you were like that, okay. never that never happened. Okay, because you, you can always find time. It's not like I. It's not like I sit there for ten hours, right? It's a half hour here. It's a half hour there. Go play a quick game. That's just a matter of being smart and finding the right window. Like when the child's asleep, that's the best. That's a time good time. You're right. You're right. When the child's awake, that's when you got to be a little more attentive to the things that need to be done. And, yeah, and I'm yeah. just, look, I th th this is not a criticism. This is just a reality. I'm having a flashback. If you're going to be a good father, there are certain things that you are used to doing without a baby in the house that you cannot do anymore once a baby's in the house. And I laughed because I saw the gears turning in his mind as he was being asked the question. Right. He knows. He knows. Life changes. It changes in a very good way, but it changes. It fundamentally alters your existence. It period. does. It and does. Here's the thing. Let me, let me just say this about golf. Yeah. Here's why I quit playing golf. Yeah. I'll beyond the fact that, that I wasn't very good, what, what would happen to me is I would get to a point where I would be decent and it would plateau and it would frustrate the hell out of me that I couldn't be consistent. Yeah. Hey, right. good shot, good shot, horrible shot. Right. Ugh. Right. Good shot, horrible shot. The idea of going out there for six hours, Spending at least fifty bucks by the time it was all said and done, and yeah. I'm talking about mid nineties yeah, when I right, finally said right. I can't do this. And then you come home, and you're hot, and you're sweaty, and you're tired, and you're pissed off because you weren't as good as you wanted to be. What's the point? What's the, what? Why put yourself through that when at the end of it, it's gonna be like God and all the stuff I could have gotten done if I hadn't been out there for six hours. So that's me. I anybody that does that and enjoys it more power to you but i got to the point where it's like it's just not worth it yeah i, I chose that that wasn't anything that i felt and i quit before my son was born i wasn't even considering disappearing for six hours on a saturday i it just i, I didn't get any enjoyment out of it so why do it why do something you don't enjoy H how hard is that to figure out it yeah, I, i'm with you you're right if, if you don't enjoy it it's time consuming it takes you away from your family enough see you later i mean I, I'm, I'm with you there it, 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 it didn't agree with me, golf. It didn't agree with my lower back, that's for sure. And I always promised myself I would not get obsessed with golf because 
of my father. The big effer was obsessed, right? Right. It's like obsessed where, you know, we'd be sitting in the family room watching Michael Jordan in the finals and everything like that. And he'd be sitting there with his driver in the middle of the family room, wiggling it around, holding it up, swinging real hard, hitting the ceiling, you know, holding it back, going, Christopher, you know, oh, what position are my hands in? And where, where, where's the club exactly? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to be like this. So that was like, that was my really the end of my golf career right there that I was not going to do that. But, but that's just a snapshot yeah. of what you have to put into it yeah, to exactly. be good it's a at lot. it. Right. You, you have to be obsessed. And, and that's what I was right on the brink of that, going to the driving range a couple of nights a week. Right. Working on the swing, hitting the balls, getting a little bit better, working on this, working on that. And for what end? For what end? What's the goal? Yeah. And again, if you like it and you enjoy it, I'm not being critical. I'm yeah. not being critical. Yeah. But well, yeah. It got you away from PFT just, for a few minutes. No, was, this you know. was all before. This was okay. all before PFT. <laughs> there was a stretch like maybe five or six years ago where we went out and knocked the ball around on the weekends once in a while. And I started to get that again. And right. I got out of it right. before. I got out new of clubs it and kind of got obsessed yeah, again, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, and yeah. then that's it. And the clubs, you want to buy some clubs? You no. want to buy some left-handed clubs? Yeah. I got some left-handed clubs right on the other side of the set, right over there, right right down there. You got them. Yeah, no you, thanks. I, I'll sell I'm them good. to you. Don't worry. Good price. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, go. What, one more thing yeah. before we get into the show. Right. Because we do have a lot to talk about. I, I have to correct myself for something I said yesterday. It's a very important error that needs to be rectified. scout thyself. On advice of counsel, this is a statement that I must read in order to avoid potential litigation. Goober Pyle and Gomer Pyle are not the same person. I apologize wholeheartedly for confusing Goober Pyle with Gomer Pyle. Gomer Pyle was on the Andy Griffith show as Gomer Pyle. He eventually got his own show, Gomer Pyle. Goober Pyle was a different person. There we go. Here we go. Okay. Now corrected the record. All right. And they're playing the old man music. American Mo I don't know the 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 goober one. I know the name, but I don't really know what that is. So but, Goober. All right. Goober was a different person than Gomer. There's Goober and then there's Gomer. Okay. There's Gomer and then there's Goober. Let's get to it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not upset. Hey, that was that picture taken back on that day that I had jaundice? <laughs> it was. It looks like it. Yes. I it saw was. a clip of that recently. I saw a clip of that recently and I thought, what in the hell was going on that day? No wonder I got a hundred phone calls asking me if I was dying. All right. Back to it. Patrick Mahomes met with the media yesterday as the Chiefs opened their offseason program. Here is Patrick Mahomes. Coincidentally, topic that we've well, let's talk about his toe first. Yeah. Let's talk about his toe, and then we'll get into the topic we discussed yesterday. His toe, his foot. He was in a walking boot 16 days ago. Alarmed a lot of people. Easter photo with child, yeah. mother of child, Patrick Mahomes, walking boot. And then four days later, out of the walking boot. He explained yesterday that he's now fully and completely out of the walking boot, and he should be good to go by the end of the offseason program. And that's fine. Look, he, hey, injury, surgery, rehab, recovery. The, the real issue is, can they avoid him having to run around as much as he did last year to avoid an injury like that from happening again? Because I get the feeling it was something chronic, yeah. not something that just kind of happened one day. Well, it, I mean, it, I don't know about that. You feel like there was something that was bothering him even before that Cleveland game where it really happened? I, I think that 
as somebody who used to run a lot, and that yeah. is one thing I continue to make time to do, is just called getting up before everyone else in the house gets up and right. going out and running. Right. You, if you, 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 a lot repetitive, repetitive. Yeah, there's no doubt things. that. And sure. I, I could see that that started just as the, in those shoes that just, those cleats that just hurt like hell. Definitely. And you're in that all the time. And you're, and you're running and running and running because the offensive line isn't blocking. It wouldn't surprise me if it was something that started as, just a minor irritation, yeah, aggravation, right. and progressively got worse, and then went in the Cleveland game. Yeah, right, right. I, I wouldn't be shocked. That's a lot of. That's how that injury, you know, works a lot of the times. And you're right; it usually is because of like not just one thing. It's the residuals of every day in practice, jamming your foot in the ground and in the game, doing all that. And like you said, in cleats, where most guys in the NFL wear cleats that are a little too small for their feet that they would not actually walk around in public with that size shoe but they want to feel faster and quicker so they wear tighter cleats that jam their their toes in there even more but you know all in all listen we know how that this is a serious injury i can't really say like you know and mike i'll ask you just off the top of your head i don't remember a quarterback really dealing with this type of injury that i can remember at least at any time you know, in the in, in recent history, but left foot, big toe, right? The biggest thing is going to be for a guy like that, dropping back, moving around the pocket, you know, throwing the football. I don't know if that's necessarily going to bother him a whole lot, but this is a delicate injury, and it's one you really got to take, take your time and be slow with and make sure it gets back to totally 100%. It's not one of those things where you go, well, hey, it's feeling pretty good, it's about 80. Let me start going out there and moving and doing things. That's how you could set it back, ruin your career, do whatever there. So uh, I, I would think he is being very careful with this and doing his due diligence before he does anything aggressive athletically to, to make sure he doesn't have these setbacks. And then you got to find a way to get yourself and keep yourself in the proper cardiovascular shape so you're not behind That's tough. in that regard yeah. because you can't do the things that you would ordinarily get that conditioning from you got to find other ways to get your conditioning riding a bike whatever the case may be but you got to be conscious of that look it clearly was a serious injury because three days after the super bowl he had surgery, surgery right they were ready to go right but let's we got to get through this season get through this super bowl and then we're gonna cut that thing apart and we're gonna fix it that's how bad it was so yeah this is a big deal and i would be concerned moving forward for a variety of reasons about the quality of the offensive line but this Patrick can run for his life and make things happen approach yeah. has one potential flaw, which is as he runs for his life, he could eventually get himself injured by the mere act of running around. All right. Super Bowl lost 31 to 9 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were prevented, the Chiefs were, from winning two in a row. Patrick Mahomes addressed yesterday motivation that comes not from winning the Super Bowl, but from losing it. Here he is. The first year that I started, we lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. I mean, you have to let that stuff motivate you to get better each and every day. And so um, uh, you look back at that, and, you, and we were able to find a way to kind of flip a switch and, and make ourselves better and make a run at the Super Bowl the next year. And you have to try to have that same mentality of knowing that we've been there two years in a row now. We've won one, we lost one. But we have to find a way to, to get back and try to win it. How much have you watched of that Super Bowl game, going back and watching the tape, and is there anything that you've taken away from that game that you've kind of incorporated into your offseason plans as far as getting ready for next season? And, and Brad, one quick follow-up if I can. Yeah, I mean, I've watched it, I think, two times, kind of watched two times and then kind of moved on from it. I'm sure I'll watch it more in the virtual offseason that we, we have going. 
Um, just just having to continue to take what's there. I think there was times in the game where maybe we were down in the game and I try to scramble and make a play happen when it, when I didn't have to. Um, they were playing a lot of deep coverages, and I probably could have handed it off on some of the RPO-type options that we had. Um, and then at the end of the day, we just got to execute at a high, higher level as an as a offense. Um, and so uh, I know the guys are, are motivated to come back uh, and do whatever we can um, this offseason, whenever that is, um, and, and to make ourselves uh, the best team we possibly can. I'm surprised he watched it twice. That's I'd have yeah, a hell that's of tough. a time getting myself to watch it once. Right. Wouldn't you? Yeah, that's 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 not easy. When you lose a game like that, you know, you've worked so hard to get there and you lose it that way. It is. It's gut-wrenching to, to sit there and watch it back. It really is. It's it's the worst thing you can do as an athlete in that big playoff, whatever, national championship, you know, one and done type of deal to go back and watch those games, uh, yeah, it is brutal. It, you, you hate to relive it and go through it all, and you know, good for him for watching it twice and learning from it. This dovetails with what we discussed yesterday as it relates to Trevor Lawrence, the chip on his shoulder or lack thereof, yeah. the adversity that he has yet to face because he's lived a charmed football life so far. You do have to find motivation in your losses, in your disappointments. That's what Patrick Mahomes is doing. That's what he's learning. And you do get motivated more by being thrown off the top of the mountain than by being able to plant a flag in the top of it. That That's natural. That's human nature. And yeah. I think that through the adversity that Trevor Lawrence undoubtedly will experience at some point in the NFL, the question is how much of that becomes the fuel right. to keep pushing, to keep fighting, because you're competing against, as we said yesterday, others who are motivated by those same things. And at the end of every year, there's always going to be 31 teams whose players are motivated by the fact that the season didn't end the way they wanted it to. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Uh, I mean, th this is, this is going to be some challenge this year for the Kansas City Chiefs football team. It is. You know, first off, we're going into the fourth year in a row where it's like, whoa, deep playoff run. Everybody, you're, you're the, the biggest show in football, basically. I mean, that happened Mahomes' first year as a starter about three or four games in. They became the hottest ticket in the league. And you go, whoa, we got to see Mahomes, the Chiefs. This is unbelievable. AFC Championship game, two Super Bowl games. Now, you know, how deep can they go in the playoffs, you know, once again? They have tremendous self-confidence. That's the one thing about the Chiefs that always jumps out to me. The belief in you know themselves as a player and then their belief as a team that they can get it done no matter who's out there against them, whatever that may be. Uh, but this will be some sort you know tough challenge. Him coming off an injury, you know, them being the king and knocked off the pedestal. It's been three tough football seasons, you know, the, the, the human tendency to just take your foot off the gas a little bit. Does that happen this offseason? You know, I don't know. But I was real confident last year going, the Chiefs will be back in the Super Bowl. Like, I, you know, I was saying that pretty early on. This year, I don't know. After a loss, uh, I'm not sure if I feel the same way. I know they'll be there and, and, and in the mix of things, but I'm not as confident just to say they're going to be back in the Super Bowl. We saw the Patriots eight straight years get to the AFC Championship game. And when you get to that level, some years you get to the Super Bowl, some years you win it, some years you don't get to the Super Bowl. Right. But the, pa the, the Patriots set that template for eight years. The yeah. Chiefs have made it for three years. I think the real challenge for this team now, Chris, yep. 
is is growing as an offense right. beyond what we saw in Super Bowl 55 because there were flaws there. Yeah. Can they figure out how to address those flaws so Patrick Mahomes isn't running, what was it, 525 yards behind yeah, the line of scrimmage basically. before he threw the football or got sacked right. in Super Bowl 55 with that bad toe? What are they going to do? To balance out the offense, maybe, maybe run it a little bit more. Maybe they need to do that. Maybe, maybe this is the old Andy Reid flaw rearing its ugly head that even with Patrick Mahomes, you can't be so skewed toward the passing game that you don't run it nearly enough to keep a defense off balance. But they they need to go back to the lab and ask themselves, are we teetering on the brink of just going going back to how we used to be pre-Mahomes? Or are we really going to be able to sustain this greatness where we are in the AFC Championship game every year that this guy's our quarterback? Yeah, no, I, I mean, the, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, and, you know, we talk about, like, that great confidence they have, self-confidence in each player and all that. I do think that got them in trouble in the Super Bowl. I do. I, you know, a yeah, gift and the curse, right? That whole, like, thing there. Yeah, their great confidence and cockiness and everything like that. You know, you heard Mahomes there. They got greedy. Oh, you know, oh, I'm going to look for big plays. We kept calling big plays to go down the field and do that, even though they were playing defenses to stop that. You know, so they definitely have to go back to the lab, Mike, whether that's just infuse a little bit more running game or something that I, I don't think that's really realistic, like, like you just said. I mean, it's, it's not Andy Reid. He's not going to all of a sudden change and go, let's run it 27 times. 27 times a game between the tackles and pull. He just, I don't think he's going to do that. So that's where I go into, you're right, Mike, like get back in the lab and find new ways to dissect people in the pass game. A little bit like we talked about at that time. More, get, get another route runner to run short routes underneath, you know, Julian Edelman style, Wes Welker style. Have something like that paired along with Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming out of the backfield and doing that. With now you got Tyreek and McCole Harmon to stretch the field. But I do think they have to find a new approach. And, you know, Mike, you bring up the Patriots too, right? And the motivation and the thing with that. The one thing I'll say, you know, when it comes to being, like, successful year in and year out and all of those type of things, you you, you got to be into yourself, you got to self-scout. You can't be motivated by everybody else every week, right? There's got to be like, what are we doing better? We're going to compete against ourselves, and we're going to get better. We have this flaw. We got to fix that. That was something that really jumped out to me in New England in my time there. There wasn't no much like bulletin board material. It was more like, wait, we did this last week, and we got to fix it this week to be better. And I think there is something to that, and in fact, of being able to stay on top of the mountain for a long time. I think the flaw in Kansas City, the biggest flaw yeah. is that because Patrick Mahomes is so special right. and so skilled and so able to pull a rabbit out of his hat or some other orifice yeah. like he did with that jet chip wasp play in Super Bowl 54 when it looked lost, when they're down 10 with seven minutes to go against the 49ers, I feel like too often the Chiefs are just kind of waiting around from a home to, to make save magic. Them, yeah. Instead of being more proactive about making things work. Well, if all else fails, Patrick will save our ass. Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes you got to help him and you yeah. just can't wait for him to make magic, especially when he's running around on a bad foot and he's got backup offensive linemen and we're not doing anything to help. Yeah. The offensive linemen buy time for him. I, he I, can't 
he can't make magic under those circumstances. Speaks to your point. I mean, that's too, I mean, Mike, I think you just you kind of just explained it right there. They went into the that game, that Super Bowl game, yeah, one with like not getting into the lab and having a different, you know, approach to the game together altogether, but I I think you're exactly right. They went into that game going, "Wait, yeah, their front four is awesome." And yeah, they sacked Aaron Rodgers and you know that good offensive line in Green Bay a few times. But we got Mahomes; he'll he'll dance and move and figure it out and try, try in some way. You're right. I think it it was part of their their cockiness and their casual approach to the game a little bit was, hey, we haven't lost a game in a long time. We got Mahomes, and we're going to do what we do to win a football game. But as we see, there's always kryptonite in every every team, you know, for the NFL. And they ran into it. And really, what he's doing right here watching these clips. <laughs> it really is. It really is unbelievable. It's un- with a noticeable it, it limp. It really is. A noticeable limp. And, like, Kristen, I wanted to know if you could go back to, like, this is how bad you know he's hurt. One of the first highlight packages we showed today, he was on the ground in that game. And he was looking. He put his hand up. Because he was looking for one of the Bucks to help him up, like pick me up, like because his toe was hurting so much that he didn't. It hurt to get off the ground. But it's amazing just watching it there, right? right you know, right again. Uh, he's truly a magic man. One of the obvious goals to improve the offensive line, especially after they cut their starting tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Here is Patrick Mahomes yeah. when he was asked about the state of the offensive line and the obvious efforts to make it better for 2021. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of great guys in, in that offensive line room. Uh, guys that are ready to compete, guys uh, that played last year, and then guys that have a lot of experience coming in. Um, and that, that breeds competition, and you, you love that. That's in every single room in this, in this locker room is competition. You're going to go out there and compete and try to earn your way to earning a spot and uh, to find a way to be the best player you can be to try to get us to the Super Bowl. Based on the story last year of Andy and, and Brett reaching out to you during the first round of the draft, do you feel like you'll have uh, a bit of a say – uh, come this year with regards to how to, you know, keep fortifying that offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I try to, I try to give my input on, on everything I can in this building of, of trying to help out the team in the best way possible. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I trust in, in Veach and I trust in Coach Reed to make the right decision for the, the betterment of the team. Um, and so if they ask me, I'll, I'll give my input and do all that, do that different type of stuff. Um, but they, they have a pretty good track record, uh, track record of getting great players in this building. Yes, they do. Yeah, they oh, do. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, absolutely, they do. But you got to have more than one. Yeah. You got to have more than Patrick Mahomes. They had great players there already when they got Mahomes, and they need to keep great players around him, and they need to have great players on the offensive line. And I like how he threaded the needle with that question because one of the big topics now in the NFL, how much influence will a quarterback have, should a quarterback have right. in the acquisition of talent, whether it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, you throw Patrick Mahomes in there as well. He'll give his input when he's asked, but he's not going to be showing up knocking on someone's door with a list of players he wants to see the team at. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, that's usually about as far as the respect level goes between organization and big-time franchise quarterback. You know, they might ask his opinion here and there. Hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that player? All of that. Not that they're going to just go, oh, Patrick said this. Now let's go upstairs and make that happen. But they're definitely going to listen to it. Hey, they know the guy studies football. Then they know the guy's been around athletes his whole life and can recognize, you know, the good ones from the bad ones. And I think that's what the smart teams do do is, hey, Belichick, McDaniels, 
listen to Tom Brady. You know, he's not in the meeting saying, but they might talk about a player and they were gonna they're gonna listen to Tom and his opinion. They know he's been around the block a few times and all that, but he wasn't gonna they weren't gonna like go back into a personnel meeting and be like, We gotta cut that guy. Tom said he's had enough of him. No, it's not quite to that extent. But I think that's the right approach with the conversation there between, you know, Veach, Andy Reid and Mahomes, and I think it's it's a healthy one. Here's a reason why it raises the stakes, though, for yeah. the Chiefs to get it right moving forward. When you convince Patrick Mahomes to sign that basically lifetime contract, yeah. more than a decade, where the money is awesome, but it's not market value. He's already been surpassed by Dak Prescott in less than a year. He will be surpassed by others moving forward. He's deliberately left money behind so that they can put a great team around him. So if they don't, he's got a beef, a legitimate beef. And even if he's not standing over anyone's shoulder saying, I want this, I want that, give me this, give me that, he can sit back and say, I expect greatness around me. Yes, right. Because I didn't do right. what I could have done. I didn't push this as far as I could have. I mean, if he really wanted to push the Chiefs. You're right. He could have said, ah, I'm not doing a long-term deal. I'll take the franchise tag. I'll take another franchise tag. And then you'll give me the biggest contract that's ever been given to any player in the history of sport to get me to stay around. That's what will happen. Yeah. That's what he could have done. Yeah, that's right. And he didn't. Right. He didn't because he wants to have a great team around him. Yeah. So if they give him a great team, fine. If they don't, then you got a problem. You're right. You're right, Mike. I mean, he really, he, he kind of in his own, you know, reverse psychology way puts the pressure back on them to go like, all right, I delivered. It's time for you to deliver. Kansas City, for the most part, has delivered the last, you know, five, six, really the whole Andy Reid there, Andy, Andy Reid, Brett Veach era there in Kansas City they had. They are aggressive every year. They make big moves and free agency to try to get things done. You know, so they've done a great job even this year. You know, they were active in recruiting Trent Williams. We know they got Joe Tooney from the from the Patriots. Hey, Jerron Reed came available. They got him. You know, so they're, they're not afraid to go out there and be aggressive and spend money and do those type of things. Um, they got some work in the draft. They probably got to get another they got to get another tackle to help help out Patrick Mahomes. Um, but you're right. It's a it's a valid point. And I think Kansas City and Beach and, and Andy Reid probably realize that and know what the deal is. One last point for the benefit of those who watched the show yesterday and didn't catch the PFTPM program later in the day. When we were discussing how quarterbacks find anything and everything to allow them to have a chip on their shoulder, we yeah. mentioned Tom Brady and being snubbed in the draft 21 years ago. Right. But Patrick Mahomes has a little bit of that too. He I got to mention that, Chris. Remember when he when he beat the Bears? Yep. The guy who was taken ahead of him, he starts counting off 10 on his fingers sure, because he was the 10th pick that year. Sure. And then last year when they were beating the Ravens on Monday Night Football, shredding the Ravens, he counted off one, two, three, four because under the NFL top 100 players of the year, Lamar Jackson was one and Mahomes was four. So he's got some of that. He knows how to do it in a way that yes. doesn't really upset anyone right. or come off as petty. It comes off as charming. Right. But he's got it too. No doubt. No doubt. And, and again, it's, it's kind of what we talked about a little yesterday, right? You know, I'm sure, yeah, they, it, it's naturally in them, 
But they got in the league. You lose an AFC championship game. You feel a few disrespects here or there. And you start to pay attention a little bit. There's no doubt. He's a competitor. He does do it in a way that is very charming. Because for whatever reason, he doesn't go and talk about it, I guess, a little bit. It's just it's on the field. Hey, he knows about it. But he doesn't sit there and lecture us. Or we don't have to hear nine stories about how he's the greatest competitor ever. And he's never going to forget about that. So he does. He's got a very good way about you know kind of delivering the message. And, of course, if Trevor Lawrence tries to pull that move... All he can do is one. That's again until you, got until you start right. until you start to get disrespected. Right. There's nothing you can use. You got no tools in the bag. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. the The off season programs opened yesterday. Andy Reid spoke about the difference between virtual work and on field work, and some teams are boycotting and some teams aren't. And we'll talk about where all that stands when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You can get things done. Um, the most valuable thing, though, that you get when when you're on when you've got the players here that you can't get virtually is uh, the on-field experience and being able to teach uh, uh, Willie Gay coming in as a rookie um, how to move and how to drop and your fundamentals and techniques, the different coverages that he's got to take care of run fit responsibilities uh, when you're not hands-on it's hard to walk through those things uh, and so um, you end up retarding the the um, the first first year player second third year player a bit uh, by having uh, by only being able to do it virtually you know that that's uh, that ends up being a bit of an issue the other part comes in is being able to put new things in <clears throat> so <clears throat> without exhausting it and again without coaches taking advantage of situations i think that's also important but you're, you're able to give um uh, give the players some new thoughts that through all the scheme eval that you discuss with them uh, hey listen let's try this and let's just take a look at it 
let's see let's see what it looks like if it's no good we can throw it out there rather than wasting time during training camp Coaches are not allowed to say anything that would suggest that voluntary off-season workouts are anything but voluntary. There is no prohibition, however, in the collective bargaining agreement on explaining the virtues of choosing to show up. A very carefully worded explanation from Andy Reid saying nothing about the workouts being anything other than voluntary, but making it very clear why it makes sense players to show up and the Chiefs one of the four teams that aren't even getting squeezed by the union to stay away because they use workout bonuses so aggressively in their contracts the players have to be there and we said this yesterday I think more and more teams are going to be using these workout bonuses to avoid this issue in the future I I would imagine so I mean I think there's a lot of benefits one you know of course hey yeah you want your guys there to work and do like what Andy Reid said all those all those things he said are very real you know, the other aspect, too, is, you know, it, being there in the locker room, being together, it starts kind of the lifeline of the football team. It, it starts the culture of the football team together. You start to build and, you know, start your own, you know, lifeline for this. Hey, it's our 2021 team. Here's the new guys and all that. And we're together and we're all for this main goal that gets lost in this whole thing as well. Um, but the on the field work like we've hit on a few times, Mike. That's that's really the biggest thing, and especially the young football players. Yeah, I know Tyrone Matthew knows, you know, what to do in every coverage and the proper techniques and all that. But they're still, like Andy said, you know, any guy under four years in the NFL, he's still learning, and there's lot lots to be, you know, learn still. And and a lot of those guys are behind the eight ball, especially first year guys who are going to year two, where they never really had that base you know, instilled in them last year. They kind of learned on the fly. And, you know, that's, again, where I would worry about, you know, the whole situation with the young players and and the current environment we got. There's an old saying that goes, wisdom often never shows up at all. It's better if it arrives late. This idea that it's taken the union 20-plus years to get to the point where they recognize there's muscle to be flexed in staying away or trying to get players to stay away from the offseason program. I just think that, there's a disconnect between getting ready for football season and taking a stand. I think it's too late to take that stand and make it work because what it's ultimately going to do, it's going to create a competitive advantage this year for the teams whose players show up. Chiefs, Packers, Jaguars, Bills, four teams that have heavy workout bonuses. They're going to be there. They're going to get the advantage of it. And we're going to see this year, and, and it's going to be a dotted line. It's not going to be a clear line. But if all four of those teams make the playoffs, now three of them we expect to anyway. If the Jaguars all of a sudden are dramatically better because their players are there and they aren't being pressured by the union to have their players stay away, then then it, it is an apples-to-apples comparison between the teams that are all in and the teams that are either sporadic yeah. or the guys aren't showing up at all. But even even – the teams that are saying we're not going to be there at all, there's still going to be guys there. They're still going to be there. Dolphins players were there yesterday. Right. Not all of them, but they're going to be there. Guys understand it's in their individual interest to be there, no matter what the union may be trying to do. And it's going to be very difficult to get a huge percentage of guys to go against their own individual interests for something like this. I, I think so. I mean, I would have a hard time. I know just, you know, whether I was a starter or a backup, I wouldn't be able to stay away. 
I'd be too worried about what was being done, who was passing me by, who was learning new tricks and new plays, what's going on that way. That would drive me crazy. That wouldn't be any cool for, for a person like me. And I think there's a lot of people like that in the NFL where, you know, it's type A, like obsessive compulsive. I like this schedule. This is what I do type personalities. Yeah, they're not going to be cool with like, you know, doing stuff at home and all that. They're going to want to be there in the mix, the personal interactions, all of that type of stuff. I mean, that, that, that is real. And, you know, Mike, I think you bring up a good point, too, about, like, you know, the advantages and disadvantages. I think we'll see, you know, teams that have great leadership or great leaders who are going to attend, you know, these workouts and maybe uh, have the, the right players all together. I think that's going to, like, let's just say Cam Newton, he went in yesterday, right, in New England. Uh, that's going to filter throughout their team. Right, so they're not. It might not everybody been there yesterday, but now a few defensive guys who were there, they're going to tell some other defensive guys, "Hey, we were there. Cam was there. It was a good day. We worked." And you're going to see, and those type of scenarios where the main leaders of the football team are there, slowly but surely, I think the majority of the team, to your point, is going to start to gravitate towards there. You know, maybe the the superstars of the team, again, that know they don't have to be there and they're, they know they've been around their techniques, everything, they're secure in the roster, all that. Okay, yeah, they might not be there. But I think slowly but surely as this goes this offseason, you're going to see more and more guys start to show up because they're going to realize, what the hell else am I doing and why am I cheating myself in, in the long run? And putting yourself in position where if your coach is upset about what's going on, there will be they're gonna be some too. consequence. Yes, where it can't be proven. Right, it can't be shown. Right, can't be detected. But hey, ninety goes down to fifty-three. Labor Day weekend. We want volunteers, and not hostages. That's right. And the guys who are acting like hostages are the guys who are going to be freed when the time comes to set the fifty-three man roster potentially. Now, if you're good enough, you can get away with it. But that's always been the case. The superstars come and go as they please, sure. and nobody ever says boo. Right. It's when you fall into that range of, yeah, we got two or three guys all doing this same job, and they're all relatively the same from a talent standpoint. That's this guy's it. expensive. Exactly. This guy isn't. Right. That's when you got yourself a problem. Exactly right. That's going to be those scenarios where it's like, hey, this guy, we don't have a clear-cut stud star player at this position. We got two or three guys who are pretty good oh, wait, these two guys were here and have been here and doing everything, they're going to get the advantages. They're going to get the advantage when training camp comes around and OTAs. They are. That's what's going to happen. You're right. There's going to be no way to prove it, but they're going to be thrown out there with the starters. They're going to be given an extra chance to fail if they do things like that. And if they can capitalize and take advantage of that opportunity, the job will be theirs. I, I have a hard time thinking. Again, I know – Coaches are humans, and they understand how serious it was last year and everything like that and everything about it. But still, coaches are psychos in the way of, yeah, the way they think about football, their job. We, I go to work. This is what I do. I expect you to do it with me. And that's the way they're wired. And I think that, you know, back to that Mike Tomlin quote, when you, when you act like you're, you know, being held hostage, uh, the coaching – the coaching world doesn't love that. They want guys who love to be around football and love to play it just like they do. And uh, I, I think there is something to that, and those guys are going to be in trouble who, who aren't around. 
I think so much of this is a PR play by the union. Seems and like it. it. It's it's a successful one to a certain extent. They've managed to have dribs and drabs of statements. They didn't do them all at once. It's, hey, this team issues a statement about offseason workouts. Then four hours later, this team does, and they spread it out over five or six days. We got stories covering every single one of them. Once you start, you can't stop. So they, they've this commanded is, multiple news cycles yeah, with it, yeah. and they're blaming it on the pandemic. And nobody, I don't think anybody really believes it's about the pandemic. But still, from a PR standpoint, it works. And meanwhile, you got guys showing up. The guys showing up won't resonate the same way as the statement did. For every statement from a team, you get a headline. Oh, Cam Newton showed up. Oh, Drew Locke. What a shock. Drew Locke, who who is worried about his right. career. Right. Drew Locke shows up. Cowboys players who had a meeting six days ago about this and never issued a statement and never said a word. Right. They're showing up. Yeah, they so know Jerry's in that charge. That part of it's not <laughs> going to be publicized. Right. The statements are, and maybe that's the win the union was looking for because they know they ultimately aren't going to keep these guys away, not a hundred percent, not even close to a hundred percent. No way. No way. You're right. Hey, listen, we already brought up two names, Drew Locke, Cam Newton. It's a big year for them. Of course they're there. They got to be there. You know, I can speak from my own personal experience. I got thrown into the fray as maybe being a starter going into my second year because I know I impressed Gruden with my off season work. You know, on days when people weren't there, I was there throwing at garbage cans, doing drills outside. You know, I'd have people telling me, hey, he was in the facility watching you work through the windows. He was saying a lot of good things about you and all that type of stuff, you know. So though, th these are the opportunities you have if your players like Drew Locke or whatever else. You can impress your coaches. Here's another aspect I want to bring up to you, Mike, just to get your thought on this. Some of these guys, too, who decide not to show up for work and come to OTAs and do that. You know, and it's, you know, safety, COVID-19 still hasn't been, you know, under control here in the NFL facilities, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the other aspect I do, if like, if some of these teams with these guys who are not showing up, if they start to hear that they're out at the club or they're at the beach and they're at other big gatherings with other people, you know, I, I just wonder the effect that's going to have on the NFL PA, the teams, some of these players and all that too. Like the players better watch it. You better not be out in public like messing around and then claiming we don't feel safe to go to the facility. Like that, that's not going to be a good look for the players. No, I agree with you. Guys out doing things without masks on, guys not getting vaccinated. And then fundamentally, what concerns do you have about the same protocols you agreed to last year yeah. during the entire season? And nobody ever complained about the protocols then, other than when there was an outbreak and some players didn't feel safe in Baltimore for justifiable reasons. The day-in and day-out grind of the way the protocols worked, as agreed to by the union and the league, nobody ever said, hey, you know what, I feel like I'm stepping into a Petri dish every day I show up for work. No, nobody ever said anything about it because, as you said all year long last year, even though it's not a popular position, the truth is, most of these guys just don't care. Yeah. So don't tell me you care a year later. We know you don't care. Right. And if you do care, show me your vaccination card. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's that simple. There's no doubt. So we'll see where this goes. I think this is going to be kind of a secretly kind of fun thing to watch this offseason a little bit. I think we'll hear more and more rumors and things of teams being disappointed or mad, guys didn't show up and stuff like that as we go along here.
One guy that we know won't be at the offseason program in Houston because he doesn't want to be, and it's probably better for the Texans for now, given the situation that he not show up, Deshaun Watson. Some big developments yesterday as Watson and his lawyer Rusty Harden filed their first substantive response to the 22 lawsuits that have been filed against Watson. We'll talk about that next year on PFT Live. On Monday, Rusty Harden, the lawyer representing Deshaun Watson, filed the first real document. The battle is joined when the answer is filed to the civil complaint. And it ultimately was, or at least will be filed in 22 cases, the exact same document, calling all 22 lawsuits a money grab and detailing specific concerns that they have based upon information they've been able to gather now that they have the names of all the people ranging from individuals who bragged and boasted to family members after the fact about massaging Deshaun Watson right during incidents where they supposedly were assaulted individuals claiming they were just going to try to get money out of Deshaun Watson etc cetera, etc cetera. this is an aggressive play Chris it's all eggs in one basket and the basket is that every one of the plaintiffs not just one or two not five or six, but all 22 of them are lying about the allegation that Deshaun Watson engaged in some type of misconduct. If there was any doubt, Rusty Harden issued a statement where he made it clear, yes, we are saying that the 22 plaintiffs are lying. The answer to the question of whether we are saying that all 22 are lying about the allegations of sexual misconduct by Mr. Watson is a resounding yes. That's Harden's quote from the statement issued yesterday. So, look, this is a bold move. I think yesterday's filing was meant more for the media than it was for the court process. Seems like it. This is the effort to push back, and I think this is the effort to push Tony Busby, the lawyer for all 22 individuals, to the table to try to get the cases resolved. So, I mean, what do you think with this kind of like statement like that? Which was, yes, it seemed like it was more of a PR public statement a little bit. It was one of the first times, you know, their camp has thrown a, a few punches that way. Uh, or at least got in the fight, but like, I mean, do you do you approve of this this approach by them, Mike? What do you think? Well, if you can if you can show that all twenty two are lying, if you're confident, that's where it just seems you can demonstrate that. Right. Yeah, but if you fail, yeah, if you like, fail as to one, you could argue you fail as to all. That's, that's what the I was problem. Gonna, that's why I asked. Right. Yeah. So wait, yeah. so yeah, I mean, so they're gonna have to prove all twenty two, right? Each one. Well. Look, I, I don't think it would be a good idea for Rusty Harden to try to consolidate all 22 cases for one trial because yeah. I think that you really are putting all eggs in one basket then because you got one jury that's going to hear 22 different individuals right. say that Deshaun Watson did these things. Right. And how do you convince a jury in that setting that all 22 are incorrect, lying, embellishing, et cetera? The other alternative is to do 22 individual trials. And... I know from experience, 18 years practicing law, you take a case to trial. If there's enough there to go to trial, every jury is a unique organism of individuals who come together for that one moment. The judge may have different attitudes. The evidence may come in differently. And even at the end of the day, it is a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen once you take a case to trial. You better be damn sure you got a silver bullet for all 22. Now, what Rusty Harden tried to do yesterday is cloud it as to enough of them that people would say, well, maybe all 22 are lying. 
But it's not like he had something on all 22 of them that he put into the statement. But the message is yeah. to all 22, we're coming, we're looking, we're searching, we're scanning, and we're watching. And we're going to try to compile enough evidence to show that you are lying. And this is what you've now signed up for. Get ready. And I'm not saying whether or not that's right or wrong. I'm trying to analyze what's going on here. I think what they're trying to do is to get enough of these people to call Tony Busby's office and say, we got to settle this case. Yeah, right. We got to settle this case. I don't want to do this. So right. they can get him to the table and try to work it out because the clients are wobbly. The lawyer can act tough and he can boast and he can preen and he can have press conferences. But if the 22 pl- clients behind him are getting very shaky about where this is heading, that's when you potentially can set it up to get it resolved. And I still believe the best thing to do is resolve it the right way. I don't know what the right way is because I'm not involved in it. But have your reckoning, provide whatever counts as justice for each of the 22 individuals, and move on. That's what Deshaun Watson needs to be trying to do. I think yesterday's move was aimed at making that happen. Yeah, I just wonder if it really will shake up the 22 you know, accusers to make them wobbly, like you said, to where the fact that now they're going to panic or anything. I mean, you know, just just at a base level, a guy that's watching all this, like you know, the old saying, like strength in numbers, right? I mean, th- there's got to be some from these 22 women to feel like, hey, I'm not alone in this fight. Like, you know, we're in it together. To where I just don't know if like any scare tactic is going to work for one or two or three of them right now at this this point. That's what I'll just be well, interested to see. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. They're trying to whittle away. There's right. strength in numbers. Okay. And then when and then when the numbers start to get shaky, that's when it that becomes something that could maybe crumble. And and I think that's part of what Rusty Harden is trying to set up. And Tony Busby, as far as I can tell, has been quiet. But what happened last night, Mark Berman from Fox twenty six reported, and this has to be something that came from Busby's camp. It's not something that Rusty Harden is going to leak. At least two of the individuals have agreed to be interviewed by Lisa Friel, the top NFL investigator when it comes to the personal conduct policy. And several more of the 22 plaintiffs have spoken to the Houston Police Department in connection with the criminal investigation. That's Tony Busby's counter move, I believe. Yesterday, the big move by Rusty Harden with the answer to the complaint and the statement and then the leak last night that at least two are talking to the league, more are talking to the Houston police, that puts pressure back on Watson. And I think, and, and, and I know that it sounds odd to think of a lawsuit with important issues that need to be addressed and potentially significant wrongdoing if the plaintiffs are correct and they have a right to prove that they're correct. It all does boil down at the end of the day to haggling over what you're going to pay for a used car. It really does. What's the settlement value of the case? And what are the factors that determine the value? And frankly, the the plan to go after the 22 plaintiffs, that puts pressure on them. That reduces the value. The fact that they're going to cooperate with the NFL and Houston police, that puts pressure on Watson. That increases the value. And the lawyers eventually get together and they hash it out just like they're working out the price on a car that one of them is trying to buy off the lot. It does get that basic and that mechanical eventually when it's time to try to resolve these cases. All right. Well, I, I mean, man, this it just sounds like this is going to go on forever, you know, either way. And there's just... Un- 
unless they can get it resolved soon, and I think that's what they're trying to set up. All right. A quick resolution. But then they resolve, and of course the NFL is going to do what they got to do to investigate this, and then that's going to take its time and process and what? But Chris, if, if you resolve it with a commitment from the individuals that they will talk about it to no one, the NFL has no one to talk to other than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the flaws in the NFL's in-house investigative right, system. They right. have no subpoena power. They can't yeah. force anyone who isn't an NFL or team employee to cooperate. And they, they, I, I still think Deshaun Watson would be facing some sort of a potential suspension, but there's no reason to put him on the commissioner exempt list if all 22 of these cases are over. So you figure out whatever punishment he's going to get. He could be traded. He moves on with his career. I think that's what he's trying to do. And as I've been saying for three weeks now, that's what he should be trying to do. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we'll take a closer look at the receivers in this draft class and one team specifically that may have to rely on the draft is the only way to get receivers. More PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.